Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. So you are so welcome. Taiki has already welcomed us as a family, but from my side, I'm, my name is Bosov Grobler. I'm a partner here at this church. Um, in the Mondays to Fridays, I am in banking, I'm in finance, and uh, the best part of my week, though, is, is this. So my wife, Blader, can't be here today. She's, uh, she's not here. My daughter, Nina, though, she is here for moral support, the one with the moon boot. Please steer clear of the moon boot. It is exceptionally dangerous. <laughs> so we are in week nine of our series called Real Christianity. We are following the book of Acts, and Joe and various preachers have taken us through the book of Acts. And last week, we stopped in Acts 4, where Joe spoke about the boldness of our faith. The boldness that it took for a few hundred Christians some 2,000 years ago that came together after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, of whom there is more historical record and proof of existence than Julius Caesar. So there is a Jesus Christ that died and that was resurrected, and there was like a few hundred people coming around this faith and then preaching the gospel of his death and resurrection and the results of it into the world. And now, 2,000 years later, there is 31.4% of the globe that are Christian, 23.1% of the globe that are Muslim. So that boldness did something amazing to the history of this world. And in Acts 4, the one piece that we are just going to pause on today is this verse, Acts 4, verse 19 to 20. It talks about this boldness of Peter and John, but it says, And Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So we are going to talk today just for a moment about what it means to hear God's voice. What it means to hear God's voice is in real life, in real time, in real things happening. And the title of the sermon today is, God is calling, are you too busy to listen? God is calling, but are you too busy to listen to other voices? Are you too busy to listen to um, Instagram, on Facebook, or news feeds, or friends, or family for that matter? God is calling, but are you too busy to listen? Now, when I talk about somebody is calling and somebody is too busy to listen, inadvertently I think about kids, right? I'm not saying our kids, so I've already pointed out Nina, so I'm not talking about Nina. I'm talking about kids in general. I'm talking about this thing about raising kids. Now, there's a lot of books written about raising kids, and it's usually written from the perspective of the child. So the, the parent needs to understand the circumstances of the child, the anxieties of the child, the reality of the child. And if you understand it better, then you can reframe the way that you, that you parent. Right? So there's a lot of books written about that. I've read many of them. How to raise a boy, how to raise a girl, how to raise a strong-willed child, how to raise a lazy child. I've read many of them. But I haven't read many books that talk about parenting from the perspective of the parents. 
parenting that talks about the emotional roller coaster that, it, that, it, that you're on when you parent a child. So there is a book that I'm probably not going to write, but I already have the title. So the title of this book is Half of the Things That People Don't Tell You About Parenting. Okay, so this is the book that I won't write, but I'm thinking about. I already have the, the title for. So I think in the first or one of the chapters or one of the sections, what I'll, what I'll probably write about is parenting in the age of sexual fluidity. So there's, there's just so much going on around us. And to make sense of it as a child, as a teenager, as a young person, as a parent, I think there's, there's something necessary to be written on that. But I will also have a section about parenting in the digital age. Yeah? So parenting in a digital age, I'll, probably the first chapter will be um, how Instagram and TikTok steal your identity. That would be like a, a nice first chapter. The second chapter would probably be something about um, how we get distracted with no margin left in our lives. Yeah? So how do, we, how do we manage that? But my third chapter will definitely be about the ticks. The ticks. You know what a tick is? Okay, so the tick is this. So you as a parent, you walk into your child's room, you are seeing the, ch- the room is not very neat, and you're trying to just put the things away. You open a drawer and et voila incriminating stuff in the drawer. This child of yours, this lovely child that you you know does nothing wrong, there is like proof of malevolence. What is that in Afrikaans? That is what is in the drawer. Right there. Or you go onto Instagram and you see things that your child has posted. And again, it's not Nina. I'm talking about like, like general stuff, right? And then... The worst, the absolute worst, is if a teacher sends you like 10 screenshots and the caption at the bottom says, we will have to talk. And now what you do is you text your child. And your child reads the text as proven by the blue ticks on the side of it. And then they don't answer you back. This is called, they blue tick you. Yes? Who knows what that means? Blue tick. You know they read it, but they wouldn't even answer you. And then you've got the gray tick. So now what happens is your child is out to dinner or to whatever they do. You say you can only go to this place. You check on whatever app you use. Is your child there? Oh, the child is not there. They're like four kilometers away. They can't walk four kilometers at night, so they plan to go to a different place. Now you text them. Now, they don't even read it, although they know, you know that they were online, right? Because you can see the timestamp, because you already had the fights about the timestamp that they're not allowed to take off. And you already know about the fact that they read the text while they are on the home screen, and they don't have to then be seen to be online, right? You know all of these tricks, and they, they great tick you. But my absolute worst is the one tick. I pay for the data. You don't even think it's worthy to switch on. (laughs) 
Okay, so it's not only parents, right? So friends, family, the blue tick, the gray tick, the one tick. What does it feel like to be blue ticked by your wife? I'm putting her on the spot here. <laughs> She's busy, okay. So what does it feel like as a parent, as a child? You want to help, right? You want to help your child. You want to help your spouse. You, and then you get these ticks. And then I wonder, when the God of the universe reaches out and calls to you, and you blue tick him, you great tick him, you one tick him, Guys, we are missing out on the power of the universe that wants to speak into your reality. God is calling. Are you too busy to listen? So in this book that I will probably not write, um, in this chapter about texts, I wonder whether I would quote Scripture. Because I would want people that are not Christian to also read the book and to, and to think with us and learn with us how to, how to parent. But if I were to use Scripture, then I would probably use this Scripture, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 13 to 14. When God says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, so what does God say here? God says, when bad things happen, when real life happens, when all of these things that, that you want not to be part of your life, illness, death, liquidation, losing our jobs, rebellious children, difficulty with parents, when all of these bad things happen, God says, when bad things happen and I am calling after you in that difficult circumstance, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. When bad things happen, if we just listen to God that is calling to us in those difficult circumstances, then he will help us make whole the things that are broken. So just for context here, so this is 2 Chronicles 7. Now 2 Chronicles 1, what happens here is Solomon, the richest, one of the richest people to ever live on earth, so the richest person in the world at the moment is who? Students. Who's the richest person on earth at the moment? Bezos. How rich is he? $188 billion. You go, your Okay, so that's a lot of money. Elon Musk is now second. Um, so how rich in, in today's terms do you think Solomon was? Two trillion dollars in today's terms. This is how rich this guy was, Solomon, right? So Solomon is David's son, 2 Chronicles 1. He is appointed and anointed as king over Israel. He's 15 years old when he becomes king. He's scared out of his mind because he's got this assignment that he needs to now 
rule over millions and millions and millions of Israelites, and he's 15 years old, and he needs to prove to them that he understands what God wants for them and rule them in that way. And then with this big assignment in chapter 2, God comes and he says, if I give you the biggest assignment, I will give you the tools for those assignments. And what God says to him is, I know I've given you a difficult thing to do. You can ask me anything, anything that you need in order to fulfill this task. And what does the element say? I want wisdom. And God says that is such a great answer. You get the money and you get the box. So you get wisdom and you get everything else. And in chapter 3, he starts now building the temple. Because God says, I want to prove to the, the people of the, of the church of Israel that there is a place where I am, where they can come and meet me and be with me. So he builds a temple in, in chapter 3 and 4. And in chapter 5, the proof of the covenant of God, the ark, is brought into the temple. And then in chapter 6, there's the dedication of this temple where God comes and he fills the temple. And peculiarly in chapter 7, this 2 Chronicles 7 is written. Why? Why does God then say at this apex, when the temple is dedicated, he says to, to his son, he says, when I shut up the heavens, when bad things happen, if you will just listen to me, then I will make you whole again. It is because he knew that although he gave him an assignment, although he gave him the tools for the assignment, although he was in his presence in the church, in the temple, God knew that real life still happens. God knew that real life still happens. And he knew that even though this man would be the fifth richest man in the entire history of the world, that he will still have moments of vulnerability, moments of pain, moments of weakness, moments of uncertainty. And into this vulnerability, God says, if you would just listen to me when bad things happen. And I want to give you just a... A 2021 version of this verse. Because if we don't understand the 2021 version of this verse, then what may happen is what happens in chapter 9. So God warns Solomon, but in chapter 9, the following is said, chapter 9, 22 to 23, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. All the kings of the earth sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. And 1 Kings 11, 4 to 6 says the following. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. And Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. And unlike his father David, he did not remain loyal to the Lord. And in chapter 10, the kingdom that was his assignment to rule over gets divided into Israel, Ephraim, and Judah through a bloody, bloody battle. So if we understand that context, then we need to look to, to the Scripture. And I've got it up on the screen here, if you'll give me the, the next one. This is the paraphrase, the 2021 paraphrase, which says that if I allow bad things to happen, so let's just be clear, God does not do bad things in our lives. Nothing that happens to you, bad or good, will ever come to you 
if it's not through the filters of God's sovereignty, nothing that will ever happen to you will come to you without the filter of God's sovereignty happening over you. Bad thing happens because this world is broken. The world is broken through sin. So when bad things happen that God allows in His sovereignty over your life, He doesn't cause over your life. He says in this verse, this, in this circumstance, I am calling after you. I'm calling into your circumstance because I want to show you grace. I want to show you mercy. I want to show you what healing looks like. I want to show you what my love looks like. And remember us as Christians that now know that Jesus Christ came and he aligned us through his death with the Father and the, the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. We, from this vantage point, we look now back at this 2, uh, two Chronicles 7 and we know that his love is without measure. He did not spare his only son. He will not spare any resource that he has in heaven to chase after you in your most vulnerable of circumstances. And then he says, but if you would just listen to me, if you will not blue tick me, now, blue tick in our, in our culture means that sometimes our pride stands up, right? And we say, but listen, I can argue my way out of it. I can argue my way out of my pain. I can rationalize myself out of my pain. I can, I can, I can take this pain away through intellectualization and rationalization. And God says, that is blue ticking me. Some things will happen in your life that you don't have the answer for, that you don't know why it happened. You don't know why the person that you trusted did this to you. And he said, don't blue tick me through your pride, trying to rationalize and intent and intellectualize the pain. And he said, don't gray tick me. Don't come and, and be distracted by all the things that you fill your life with because you can't deal with the pain. You want to deny the pain. And now you get on like gymming and studying and working and partying and going to so many different places just to deny the pain that you feel in your body and that you can't get rid of. And then God says, don't one-tick me. Because if you one-tick me, that means that you just you can't fight the urges to stick with the shame and the guilt and the addictions and the stuff that you use to self-medicate this pain. And he says, if you can understand that, if you can just hear me through all the noise and all the din, then I will come and I will heal your world. I will heal your pain. I will heal your uncertainty. I will step into your reality. Okay, so now you can say, okay, great story, great scripture, great paraphrase. You don't know what's happening in my life. I don't. God knows. But I can share with you what's happening in our lives as a family. And I want to share with you just... A story with reference to a place. This place is room four in the emergency rooms of Pretoria East Hospital. So room four for us uh, in this weekend has been quite relevant. So yesterday morning, 
I was sitting finalizing my preparations for this message, and I was quite stressed because Miko, our youngest one, he's a, he's a hockey player. And he was taken by bus early morning, very excited, this 13-year-old, because two days prior, he was elected captain of the under 48 team. He strutted into the house with like the biggest chest ever. He was just so excited to go and play his hockey. He was on the bus. He went to Johannesburg, and I was stressed. Because with this COVID-19 thing, parents can't go there. And I know that our son suffers from an incurable blood disorder. So he's got this disorder called von Willebrand factor. So it sounds very volt. It sounds nice, but it's not. Because what it means is if he gets a hockey ball to the head or to the body or whatever, that he would, if it's not treated immediately and effectively, he would probably die from internal bleeding. But we have had the opportunity to go to various doctors, and he did like various tests, and there's this thing called DDAVP. Now, DDAVP is something that you can inject him with if something were to happen. So there's a way that he can play hockey, and if something were to happen, we know what to do, and he can fulfill this thing that God has put in his body to be able to do. And as I was preparing, my phone lit up with the name of the hockey coach, and my heart just skipped like 20 beats. And I picked up the phone, and I couldn't hear what he was saying. And he just said, Miku got hit quite badly with a hockey ball. And I'm like, okay, so what was hit? Long story short, the, the grace was that he was hit on his, on his pinky finger. His pinky finger was, uh, it's a crushed wound. I don't know, it like, looks like pulp. And his, um, his nail bed was like split in two. And I'm like, okay, so what now? And they, long story short, an hour later, we were ushered into room four of the ER of Pretoria East Hospital. Now, why room four in Pretoria East Hospital is quite relevant to us because it's the exact same room that a few years ago, Blader's first husband passed away in after a car wreck. The exact same room where when Blader was at her most vulnerable, a 32-year-old widow with a -a two-and-a-half-year-old son, When God stepped into that reality, into that horrible, horrible place of feeling alone, of feeling desperate, of feeling confused, of feeling, God, where are you in this? Blader experienced in that room that there's a God of love and compassion and understanding that was willing to step into that room and was willing to comfort her and was willing to cry with her with the various people that came around her. And she was able to experience the God of the universe in room four of the ER. A few years later, after a horse riding accident, they took me into the same room four of the ER. And God stepped into that space when the doctors came and they said, listen, you fractured your C1 vertebra. There's a big chance that you will never walk again. You must lie very, very still now. And God stepped into that space, into the confusion, into why is this happening, God? And God stepped into that space and he said, Both of you will walk out of this room because I've got an even bigger assignment for your life. And I said, God, but then you have to prove it. Then I need to walk out of here. I'm not going to roll out of here. And after the MRI scans, the doctor came. And God called after my life with a doctor's message saying, you were so lucky. 
Your C1-C2 vertebra is naturally fused. That's the only reason why you are alive today. It's in room four of the ER at Pretoria West that yesterday afternoon I could pray with my son. And thank God for the financial means and for the, for the ability to take him to a hospital that could look after him. This morning he's being operated and there are doctors and hematologists and stuff being around him. And I thank God for the protection of his life and I thank God for the financial resources and stuff that he put into our means to protect my son and the, and the purpose that God has for him. I wonder what's your room for as you're sitting here. I wonder what that thing is that, that you can't get out of your mind and that is just so loud in your being that God wants to speak into today. Might be a place, might be a person, might be a circumstance. What is your room for? God knows what's going on in your mind right now. God knows the worry, God knows the pain, God knows the grief. God knows exactly what your room for is. But I worry for the Christians that are sitting here. Because as Christians, we start this journey and we hear from God. And as we walk through this journey and we hear from God, bad things happen to us. And it's as if we are caught unawares. I worry for the people that only recently became Christians. There are so many people whose lives were an absolute mess and then and Jesus reached into their lives and then into this changed transition that we are in. Bad things still happen. And now my problem is that I need to deal with this bad thing and I need to deal with it sober. I need to deal with it without the addiction. I need to deal with it without the friends that like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock on a Friday after evening when, my, when my, the noises in my head are so loud that I just want to reach out and go out and drink and do whatever is necessary. Those voices still come. I worry for the people that only recently met God. I worry for the people that have gotten so hurt by people that they trusted. That can't even fathom that there's a God that's got a love for them that is bigger and more different and more intense and more intimate and more real than anything that they've ever experienced in their entire lives. And with this noise in our minds, we can't hear the God that is calling after you in the space that you are sitting right now. God says, I want to step into your room for. 
I want to make you whole. The Holy Spirit wants to minister to all of us at this moment in time. I want to invite you, if you're comfortable, if there's a space in your life that you say, God, I want to hear you. I desperately want to hear you. I can't hear you. We want to create an opportunity where you can be ministered to, where people can come alongside you and pray with you. And through two or three people that come alongside you to pray with you, to be able to open your ears to what God has in store for you. I want to invite you, if it's you that meet ministry right now, the simplest thing that you can do is, if everybody just close our eyes, the simplest thing that we can do as we have our eyes closed, knowing that Solomon, that was the, the fifth richest man in history, God came after him and he said, Guy, there's going to be vulnerable times in your life. You need to hear my voice when these bad things happen because if you can hear my voice, then I can heal your world. As everybody's eyes are closed, I, wanna, I want to invite you. If you need ministry right now, for you do the simplest thing that you do every day is just to stand up. To stand up so that people can come alongside and minister to you. There's a few people standing already. I want to ask that the, that the core team and the ministry team, if you wouldn't mind, just coming alongside them and come and pray with them. There's some of us that are, that are sitting and there's a, it's like a, a turmoil that's going on in your heart right now. And I want to encourage you not to blue tick God at this moment. Don't leave this moment. Don't leave this moment and blue tick or gray tick or white tick God. I want to encourage you. I want to invite you. If you need to spend time with God right now, if you can stand up so that people can come alongside you and pray with you. There's a few more people that stood up, so if the ministry team can maybe just split up a bit and, and come alongside the people. And I want to ask the teams that are around our friends and our family, to pray for them, to pray in the Spirit and to minister to their souls.